our many singers are joining us. They've not been with us week to week. Um, and so to remind everyone and, um, and us together, we're, uh, we're in our third Sunday of Lent. So since Lent's begun and we're um, remembering the approach of the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so every day is the Lord's day. Every Sunday is his day. And in this season especially, um, we mark our calendars and we move towards Easter Sunday uh, in this time of remembrance. And in building that and approaching that, um, I'll turn around just a little bit and say hi. Um, so we're, um, we're moving through um, these beginning chapters of Genesis and seeing what's happening there. Uh, what's happening there that would that would require something so extravagant as what God does in his son. And we've seen sin growing and swelling, and it's um, doing this erupting thing like a volcano. And when it spews out, it makes something new, and it's spreading. It's creating new territory, taking on new lands. And the worse sin gets, the louder the cry, and the greater the need comes for God to do something final about it. And Adam and Eve, um, we first see them, they open this door of sin and death, um, but they didn't explode. They were waiting for something to happen maybe of, oh, well, uh, we ate from the tree. Now what? Holding their breath. And things get worse in their kids. Their oldest son, when they've had this promise of God's going to restore something through us, um, Cain kills Abel. And they feel the hurt of sin. And they see it swell and grow. Chaos is building. And it's like a driver, if you've seen this, um, or maybe you've felt it. Um, you fall a little bit asleep at the wheel. You're not paying attention or something. And you're on the edge, and you start to hit the edge of the road. And what's your impulse? Your impulse is to jerk the wheel. And to go back, and you end up overcorrecting. And then um, this... This actually happened to my sister one time because she was um, she was driving a Jeep, and so you know Jeeps aren't great responsive, you know, small jerky movement vehicles. And so she ran off one side of the road on the ditch, shot across the road on the other side of the ditch, ended up somewhere back on the road, and ended up spinning. And it was just the oh, 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 oh what just happened? And we hear the story kind of like this in Genesis, and we think, is that's what's happening here? Um, except it's a little worse because at least in that story. Uh, she ended up on the road. She crossed the road a couple times. Um, and what we hear happening here in Genesis is something, um, it, it reminds me more of what I saw one time in my rearview mirror. Um, we're driving back from, uh, this is when we were in Florida during seminary years, and um, we're driving back from a middle school retreat. And I was the lead vehicle, and Rhoda was actually one of the back vehicles. And I saw, um, you know, fast movements in the mirror catch your eye. And so I saw this fast movement, this SUV um, that crossed two lanes at once. And it did this swoop. It was on the far right. And so I'm seeing it in my mirror, and it passes, and it passes. And, but it doesn't stop. And then it hits the, it hits the buffer lane on the edge because it's Florida Interstate. And then it still doesn't stop. And so it's crossed three lanes, and I'm seeing it in my side mirror now and it shoots off the interstate, down across the median, still full speed, no correction, 
ramps off of something and just wrecks out. And it's one of these, what in the world happened? Either somebody had a heart attack or um, I can't imagine an argument that would have like disrupted that much. But this, this thing happened um, and they're asleep at the wheel. This is the, this is the type of wrecking movement except you know, they're full on pedal down running through the underbrush, slamming into trees, causing wreckage. This is what's happening, and it's a painful story. Um, as we heard with Cain and Abel on the building towards that, because um, Cain gets so many stop checks. God interrupts him and gives him the opportunity so many times with these stop checks. Um, you know, it's the watching the movie and seeing somebody go down the dark hallway, and there's the light under the door, and you're like, don't open the door, it's bad in there. And they still move through the door, and they hear the creepy sounds, and they put their hand on it, and it's shaky. And you're like, don't open the door! They keep opening the door, and it keeps building and getting worse. And the deeper the pit of sin, the more miraculous and the greater the rescue that's needed. Um, to put a couple markers in your mind... Um, as you hear and as we read through this passage of, of Genesis 4, um, life gets farther and farther away from the garden. That's what we're going to hear. Life gets farther and farther away from the garden. Some things are fruitful that come out of that, but there's a whole lot of bad that comes from that. Um, sin has been something, and it's been um, disrupting and disruption, and it's played a role, but now it's a new kind of darkness where it becomes something of celebration. And weakness has played a role, but we find at the end that weakness plays a new role and actually gives birth to life. Um, and so farther from the garden, sin growing to celebration, uh, weakness giving new birth. Um, if you would, I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 4. Um, especially because of the number of people with us in the context, I think will really help us hear what, sec what happens in the second half of chapter 4. Um, so if you would look at Genesis 4, we'll begin in verse 1 and read through the end of the chapter. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to it, you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he named the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ida, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ida bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naaman. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Father, we entrust the reading and the preaching of your word to you. Lord, that your spirit moves and works. Lord, that you accompany it. Lord, that it is a living and powerful thing. Um, that you work in us as your people, that you work in those who are not yours to become yours. So, Father, we pray that you would, um, by your spirit, teach, that you would cut to our heart, Lord, that you would make new life, Lord, that we would be glad and go from this place celebrating and spreading what you are doing. We ask this in Jesus. Amen. Life gets farther and farther away from the garden. Um, I've been trying to, to think. There's an observation Red and I had this past week. It was really her observation, and then we kind of experienced it together. Um, and what we're seeing in the, the family life here is um, families, they have kids, and the kids show and reflect them in the things that they do. And we were watching, uh, and that's a good thing, and that's a bad thing. And we were watching, um, I came in uh, one evening, and the girls had gone to bed, and Rhoda was, um, she was watching You've Got Mail, because rom-coms from the 90s are excellent. And, um, and there was this scene of, of Tom Hanks and his, uh, his, like, 
his mid-mouth to forehead, this shot. Um, and she said, he looks so much like his son. And what she really meant was his son looks so much like him. Um, and I didn't know this. So, so Tom Hanks, um, you know, he's, he's, I don't know that there's a more, a guy who plays consistently more lovable characters. Tom Hanks. He gives us warm and fuzzies. He's everything from Woody to, you know, castaway stuff to like big. And he just, he does, he has these characters that are, um, they're near and dear and we love them. Um, Forrest Gump, everything. He's just, he's a, he's a character, he plays a character of the people. And so she said, um, you know, his son's actually an actor. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. And so she pulled up and we were looking at his son and um, he's one of the, the guys who plays on Mad Men, so the AMC show. Um, and I was like, oh, I can really see it. Um, and I forget which of the sons it was. Maybe it was Colin or something. And she said, oh, there's actually another son. Um, and I looked up. He's got four kids. But he's got this son who represents the, he looks like, looks like Tom, um, plays the lovable character like Tom. And then we pulled up the picture of this other son. And, and it's this other son. And he's wearing, um, he, he's like muscled out which Tom's not muscled out, but he's muscled out, and I think he's wearing a tank top, and he's holding two pistols. And he's got, he's got this hard look of, I'm so, I'm just, I'm hard. And he's just this tough guy. You know, he's like, ugh. And I was like, both of those guys came from Tom. How crazy is that? Um, and so there's, you know, there's two marriages, and, um, and we see the one that we see, um, you know, Colin, oh, he's great. He reminds me of all the sweetness of who he is, and I just feel the warm, and then what happened with this kid? Um, and so we, we see things, the further, um, even in Cain's line, we see things that um, the image of God being marked on him flourishes through him. These are things that we call common grace. They're common grace developments. It's um, the imprint of God's image on him is so strong that it, it's, it's growing and it's producing goodness. Um, in the darkness, at the same time, um, the darkness from Cain has this generational deathly impact, um, this growing and swelling. Um, so part of that... In hearing, in hearing last week how Eve names um, what it means for her to have kids. She names in this way, um, and we read it today, this, I produced man with the help of the Lord. It's, uh, well, I did, I did my part, and I got a kid, and yeah, God was there too. Um, and so there's this sourness of, well, at least she gave God mention, but she didn't name what was really happening. She doesn't name the miracle of life and birth. And Cain, at this point where... Um, where he has a kid, you hear in verse 17, it says, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Where's God in that story? Where's the celebration of life? Where's any sense of gratitude or thanksgiving? Um, and so there's a narrowing. You know, at least Eve gives God a shout out. God has become silent in, God, in, um, in Cain's story. Cain, he moves and he's this, um, he's the possessor. And that's in his name. He has, uh, he has a son who he names Enoch. Enoch is the, the dedicator. Um, he's the dedicator and the one who gets tribute. So I kept thinking of the, you know, he's the dedicator. 
he has the city named after him, but you know the, the introduction before that, the, I wrote this book for. So this city is given to, because Cain wants not just to take over stuff, but he wants to stamp the name of his lineage. And so he names his son, um, and he names the city after the son. Um, and as I thought about this, this um, he's supposed to be a fugitive and a wanderer. What does this mean that he's building a city? And I think at least in part is it's, um, He's, re- he's doing everything he can to reject the consequence of life that he's earned for himself. When God says, you're going to be a wander- wanderer and a fugitive, Lord, I guess I can accept that. I know the guilt of what I created. But what does Cain start doing? He starts putting up walls. He starts building up defenses. Um, he, he makes a stronghold and he establishes it. and He, he, he drives a stake in the earth. He's obnoxious. Um, yeah, he's a lot like us. And uh, in the way the generations move, and we hear this, um, there's, there's a seven-generation movement from Adam to Cain, Enoch, Irad, Mahujael, Methushael, and it lands on Lamech. And the number seven continues to be meaningful. Um, when we hear it in Scripture, we think of perfection. We think of fullness. Um, six would fall short of it. And we think, what perfect thing is happening in Cain? Um, And there's something perfectly destructive that's happening in Cain's line headed towards Lamech. So again, it's not all bad. There's major things. Even um, I remember uh, professors talking about dark ages and how the dark ages have the name of the dark ages. And, oh, they're not just dark. There's lots of major stuff that happens in the dark ages. And so it's the same type of thing in in Lamech is... um, um, in, the, in the direction towards Lamech is he has kids that do great things. Um, they dwell in tents and have livestock. Hey, that's something new. Uh, hey, they're developing instruments, the lyre, the pipe. Hey, they're metal workers. Um, through his line comes all this metallurgy, and it doesn't mean that it all happens right then. But there's a darkness that comes in this too. We get to Lamech, and he's taken... Um, the beauty of fidelity that exists between Adam and Eve and what it means to have marriage and be bound together and what's he doing? He doesn't know how to be a one-woman man. Um, in this, this um, one woman's not enough for this guy. This guy's a guy who, you know, he's got two hands, he's got two pistols, he's got two arms, he's got two ladies. This is Lamech, this is his spirit. And so how quick... The disruption of, um, of living sexually and living out of what was once just, just around the corner, preserved and guarded in the garden, how quickly it gets messed up. Uh, we hear a spirit, and it, um, it reminds us of the way that Romans 1 gives narrative to this. So Romans 1 says this. It says, although they knew him, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts darkened. Um, remember the whole birth thing for Cain and his wife? Where's the thanks? Who are we going to name a city after? Um, God who spared my life? I'm going to name it after my kid. And so the filling of their hearts and hands is all about the stuff of creation. And they've lost sight of their creator. 
one of the great things about, um, about new discovery in family life um, is seeing the traits of one generation come up in the next. Um, many of you have probably looked at family pictures and you can see grandma or grandpa as a kid and you can see the next generation or however it is and um, the resemblances are striking. You say, oh, well, they have so-and-so's nose and they have so-and-so's chin and I can't believe the look in the eyes. Um, and there's this, uh, there's this fun that we get of seeing things flourish and grow and get carried on. Um, and even in a, a silly way, um, I was reminded, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Kramerisms from Seinfeld is in the scene where um, he's going to the racetrack. And he's going to the racetrack and there's this horse. Um, and it's this horse that's a mystery horse and it doesn't have good odds but the conditions are perfect for this horse to thrive because it loves the slop. It's a horse, the mother was a mudder. You know, runs in the mud, runs in the muck. The father was a mudder. So you got a father was a mudder, the mudder was a mudder. It just eats up the slop. And so he's at, he's at the track and he does this and we see this, you know, this growing, swelling, inheriting of traits. Um, and sometimes it's uh, things to be celebrated uh, and sometimes it's a lot of generational nastiness in our own lives. Um, we see that, I remember the 90s commercial of uh, when I was growing up, it could have been in the 80s even, um, but it was part of the anti-drug campaign and you have, um, you have the, sorry it's hard to keep a straight face, you have the dad and the commercial at the time even made me laugh and it's a, it's a sad scenario but I don't think they were very effective in the campaign and so the the dad goes in and he's found this this little container of drugs and he goes in and he says to the kid and he says where did you get this and then you have the kid saying I learned it from you dad I learned it from you and it's when did you learn it from me? You know, it's like, how, how did that possibly happen? But, um, but the point is the same is um, we see in Adam and Eve this type of sin that when they encounter it, they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed and they're hiding um, and they acknowledge it. And things get worse from then till here. Um, they cover up and confess when you get to Cain, all Cain does is deny and lie and conceal. God calls him out, gives him opportunity, but he doesn't do anything close to what Adam and Eve do. At least they can, they can step out into it. Um, and this new type of darkness has come out in Lamech, um, where sin has become celebration. Um, you may know the, the patterns of your own family, um, one of the uh, walk-up-isms that I grew up is we think we're a better people than other people. That's one of those. When, when you just grow up thinking you're a better people than other people, you don't realize that you think you're a better people than other people. You just know you're a better people than other people. Um, and it's sad. Um, but realizing patterns of learned disrespect, um, learning to disrespect um, people because of their place in life, um, because of the way that God has made them and the beauty of the creation that he's made them. Um, one of our walk-up-isms was um, 
being guarded and protected with our money, but calling it stewardship and calling it Scottish frugality. Um, but what it really means is we're a bunch of stingy jerks and we don't even help each other. Um, you got to figure it out on your own. And in Lamech, this, um, this way that Romans 1 ends is this, uh, this toxicity this, that's, been building, uh, that's been building. The expression of evil lands at the end of Romans 1, and he says, Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And we think... How did Lamech get so bad that he did? Um, was God written out of the story? Did he grow up in a home where there's no mention of God? And we can answer that at the end of this, at the end of his song, um, he's naming Cain's revenge. He's naming the response that God had to Cain. His story's not a story without God. His household's not, not a household that's grown up with, um, with God being absent. But their understanding of God's character and who he is is entirely, like, just upside down. Uh, looking at, at Lamech, um, what does he do when his sink swells? Well, um, so back to Tom Hanks' second kid that I didn't know about. Um, Lamech is the, the jacked up, he's worked out too much, and he's toting his pistols, and he's saying, look at me. Um, he's like the first thug life representative in the Bible and this shows up because what does he do? He sings about his violence and his women. And it's right here. Um, verses 23 and 24, he says this. He says, Ida and Zilla, hear my voice. If I were only bold enough to rap. <laughs> you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And maybe we can, um, can charge Finch with the task of putting this to song. Um, but that's what happens here is Lamech is singing about his sin. How arrogant is he that he's celebrating? Um, and so, so the wives' names, he sings... Um, so Ida, she's pretty face. That's, that's the meaning of her. And Zilla, she's sweet voice. And so he's like, I got pretty face under one arm. I got sweet voice under my arm. And he's like, look at me and my ladies. And then look at me. This, I'm an older guy right now, but I've got old man strength. Because even when this young, strong kid comes around and he messes with me, I don't just put him in my place. I like a mob boss shut him down so nobody challenges my honor. That's what his song is about. Is it's about reputation. It's about notoriety. Um, there's, there's no voice for God but his voice, his listen to me, hear what I've got to say. I killed a man. And in this he has, um, he has no word of, weak, of weakness uh, but about demonstrating his strength. So, and he does this again, remembering God. He's not forgotten about God because he throws in, you, you remember the hard judgment coming against Cain? Um, and he's like the Wild West guy who's bragging about the bounty on his head. 
is look at me and my, and my uh, bounty hunter bill, see how much I'm worth. And so he, he says this, um, the Cain's revenge thing in verse 24, um, and there's the seven thing and the seven perfection, and he's got the 77, and he says, I've got perfect violence and vengeance. He's poetic. He's poetic and he says what he means. We get this sigh of relief because we think, whew, that's not me. Glad that's not me. I don't talk like that type of talk. Um, but when you're at your worst, what's the song of your heart? Um, what I mean is, when you're tired, when you're hurt, when you're exhausted, what's the stuff that comes out of your mouth? Because Lamech puts his heart on full display. Because again, he's not there to guard. He's not there to conceal. He's there to celebrate his sin. Um, an expression I heard this past month is, and, and I wish I could remember who said it. Um, it happened in conversation or something I heard, but they said, um, I remember my mom said, alcohol never puts anything into someone's mouth. It just shows what's already there in the heart. And we think of this, oh, I just had too much to drink. I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I just drank too much. I didn't mean to do that. Um, but it shows what was already there. And we can't shift the blame, and we can't hide behind it. Because the problem is really, that's really in there. Um, that's really what we did mean. So it doesn't happen in Lamech. Um, and the where do we go from there? Because it doesn't bother him. But for us, where do we go from there? Where do we go from there when we start to see what's really going on? In the bigger family tree, um, we have the opportunity to see what happens in Eve's life. We have the opportunity to see um, what is it to be alongside this and, uh, and see things happen. We see Cain's run, and he's bolted from the garden. He's been set out, and he goes farther and farther. Um, the sin thing has become a big celebration. But what about Eve? What about old mom? Mom that's been hurt and been behind. We see that even her weakness, even, she's given birth to something new. The last two verses of this, something new is happening in Eve um, as she encounters what weakness is and bearing weakness before her God. And Adam knew his wife again. She's not named here. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, we can hear a lot of things in that. The Eve, Eve voice that's at the beginning of chapter 4, um, she's allowed herself to move in the background. She gives voice again to what it means, um, new expression of her heart, new expression in her mouth. She says, God has appointed for me. Not, look what I've produced. I produced the producer. Um, but she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Um, 
Eve is, she's had a position of relationship where she can't get around the hardship of sin. She can't get around its destructive hurt because she lost her son. She lost her son, and I think in that time she saw a lot of herself in Cain. A lot of what she trained and raised up of herself into Cain. Um, And I think that hurt. She's at a place where um, she knows her loss and she names her loss. She's someone who's gone through hurt and she says, I've lost my son Abel at the hand of my son Cain. She doesn't soften the blow of sin. She doesn't soften the blow of evil even as she names what's happening now. But this God appointed from me is very different than where she was before. She names this new son Seth, um, which the, there's a handful of efforts to try and get at his name's meaning. Um, this granted, um, set or placed, even substitute of God has done this. God has granted. God has set place. God has, God has mended the place of brokenness. We see a restored faith in what is she training into her family life? What do they see in her and what's influenced of her? From Seth's line comes Enosh, who his very name means weakness. How beautiful is that? She names, her grandson gets named weakness. We see a new humility, a new family value, a new posture, and a new song even in their hearts. Because what Enosh is doing is in him and his generation, people are calling on the name of the Lord. They're calling upon the name of the Lord in the thread of hope through the chaos of sin is new. It's happening. They're not running. They're not hiding. They're not denying. What now, God, would you do in and through this life? What now would God do with us? We see the threads of generations. Um, we see the hurt. Um, I saw in, in friends growing up of um, generational hostility, dads who yell at kids. Dads who yell at kids and kids learn what it is to be yelled at. And when it's their turn to be dads, they turn around and they yell at their kids. And I saw in one of my best friend's dads, um, him bracing and turning into Jesus to bring an end to the yelling, to bring an end to the hostility. That's a small picture of what happens. What God does through Seth is he brings Jesus He brings Jesus in the line of Seth to be new life that God uses to keep his original promise to Eve. Um, The promise didn't die with Abel. Remember, Abel's the guy who, um, he has a good heart before God. The promise didn't die with him. The promise didn't die because of Cain's wreckage. The promise gets rebirthed through Eve, which is so beautiful. And it's rebirthed and a family line that knows provision because God has provided a substitute because God has shown weakness 
And this changes the rhythms of our heart and the rhythms of our mind. And it's the way that Paul writes. The Lord speaks to him and he says, what do you really need? And he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Christian's hope is this, that Paul's resolve is um, he doesn't boast in himself. Because Lamech, he's this guy who's a big boaster. He thinks everything's about himself. And Paul is the guy who thought everything was about himself. He doesn't boast in himself, but he'll boast all the more gladly of his weakness so that the power of Christ will rest upon him because he needs to know his weakness before his God. There's a song in your heart, and there's a song in my heart, and the songs expose us. They come out at times that we don't want them to come out, and they come out with voice that we don't like. God invites us to hear a different song. One of my favorite um, passages of scripture, which I was like, how did I get to get through seminary and get to be in a pastorate and all this stuff and like not really get this passage? Um, but one of the most beautiful places in scripture, we've read it even in our order of worship this past year, of God inviting us to hear song comes out of Zephaniah 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Here's his song. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And it's not a song that denies hardship. He says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Eve's weakness doesn't silence her loss. And the song that God sings to us doesn't silence or pretend like the hardship of our lives isn't there. But he invites us to hear of his love and to hear louder and let that be the song of our hearts. This is the full answer given to us in Jesus. As that he comes to us in our weakness because of our weakness so that he can actually live in and through us and be the life that we are to the world. Not that we would forget or deny, but that we know him as champion. Making us new, having made us new, and showing that newness to the world. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would be at work helping us hear our own words helping us hear our own heart Lord knowing the song that we sing and Lord hearing your song over us we thank you for Jesus 
pray that your spirit would make us soft and tender to hear his voice, and that we would know of your love and the life that is in you. We ask these things in Jesus. Amen. As we draw near to Christ in the table, uh, let's celebrate by singing hymn number 261, What Wondrous Love Is This. Let's stand and sing 261.